0: Friends, welcome back to another episode of Phenomenology, right here on the One Step Closer to Madness Network. I am your host, author, and phenomenologist, Stephen Lancaster, and tonight we are going to talk about something that something that has been bothering me lately, and it's actually been bothering me for the past couple of years. But ever since the rise of paranormal entertainment, paranormal television, um, we started to gradually see uh, this decline in what some of us used to refer to as debunking, disproving the ghost. And, you know, now, in this day and age, when we watch these paranormal TV shows, you see very little of that anymore. Every episode is a ghost. Every episode is a spirit or a demon or a creature. Every episode, they have found something to prove Bigfoot, or they're on the trail of Bigfoot. Um... It's a little nerve-wracking for the real people out there who spend their lives conducting paranormal research because it is not like that. Um, And I'm sure most of you have a good head on your shoulders, and when you're watching these shows, uh, you're watching them for entertainment value. I haven't watched one since probably the second or third season of the original Ghost Hunters. You know, when Ghost Hunters first came out, um, I admired the show. I I really got into it because it, it was the first time I got to see people doing what I had been doing, uh, along with many others, but doing it right. Actually, trying to disprove the ghost, debunking things, telling the client, "Look, you do not have a ghost. Your house isn't haunted." And unfortunately, the way the networks work, the way the entertainment industry works, the way business works is that wasn't selling. People wanted more ghosts. They wanted more scares. Uh, And when I say people, I mean the audience. Not paranormal researchers, not paranormal investigators. Those people wanted the truth. But sadly, uh, the largest percentage of people who watch these shows aren't actually paranormal investigators. Go figure. But with that being said, tonight, I'm going to talk about what I do Um, You know, this show Phenomenology, each episode's different if you're new to the show. Um, Sometimes I talk about my cases, sometimes I talk about other people's cases, well-known cases, um, movies that are based on a true case, um, or just general philosophies, investigative techniques. Um, I try to choose something that, you know, you don't really hear a lot about. You know, so, you know, you turn on all these paranormal podcasts or these radio shows or whatever you want to call them, um, and it's literally the same regurgitated stuff over and over again. So I decided tonight I'm going to take you into my head once again, but I'm going to share cases with you where there wasn't a ghost. And and I hope you kind of find this comical and educational and interesting because the clients, the, you know, the people that called me truly believe they had something. And you find yourself torn because sometimes your client really wants their place to be haunted, whether it be for the benefit of their business or they, they're they just a, a paranormal enthusiast to begin with and they don't mind having a ghost, while other people are actually relieved to find out um, that they're not haunted. And tonight I'm going to talk about the not haunted and these cases that um, it was something so simple um, to where you're not, the client was naive to what was going on, but their mind immediately went to the paranormal, to ghost. And, and as it would turn out, that wasn't the case in any of these cases, but the cases are kind of funny. Uh, they're kind of interesting because we've all heard that joke. If you listen to a lot of paranormal investigators talk or, or you watch the shows or whatnot, um, You hear the jokes about, oh, it was just a squirrel in the attic, or a mouse in the attic, or it was just the pipes. You know, you don't hear that a lot actually being said in reality, though, like on these these television shows. Because, let's face facts, folks, they're not actually reality. I have been on these shows, many of them. I have been behind the scenes of these shows. I, I have personal friends who come from a lot of these shows, and they'll be the first to tell me it's all overproduced, A lot of it's scripted. They said one thing, the producer come in and said, hey, reword that, kind of make it sound like this. So guys, don't hold too much stock into these shows. Um, If you want to learn about true paranormal research, hang out right here, because tonight we're going to talk about a few of the most interesting cases I've had that were very short-lived, cases that I've had that are productive, you know, that did produce something paranormal, I've worked on for months and years, you know. Um, And we'll talk about those in future shows, but tonight we're going to talk about these uh, in-and-out, short-and-quick cases where there was no ghost. It was literally something very, very simple. And it'll be educational to you as well, because maybe you're experiencing these same things, and you thought, Hey, I heard Stephen talk about that on Phenomenology. It's actually this. So guys, stay tuned. Tonight on Phenomenology, we are talking about... The fact that it does not always have to be a ghost. So stick around. Hey, my friends, Steven here. Make sure you check out all of the other shows on the One Step Closer to Madness Network. That is home of me and Phenomenology and the only place you will hear my show. So please support the other shows. There's lots of cool material, from talk shows to music shows to movie reviews to politics, whatever. It's here. So check it out. One Step Closer to Madness Network. The only place you will find me in Phenomenology. Alright my friends, welcome back to Phenomenology. I am Stephen Lancaster. And uh, tonight we're talking about the fact that it does not always have to be a ghost. I think uh, so many people out there get so psyched up and they get so excited about going on their ghost hunt or on their their investigation that they, they almost put themselves in a place of denial to where every little crack and creak and door swaying open is a ghost. And the whole philosophy of trying to prove that it's not has waved bye-bye. Now, I'm not saying that about everybody who works in this field or everybody who does it as a hobby, which is 90% of people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying that a large percentage of people have forgotten about the fact that the whole point isn't necessarily to prove it and it isn't necessarily to disprove it it's to do both it, it's uh it's kind of like a seesaw you, you've got to come in and you've got to you got to fill both sides of the scale so to speak so it levels out it, it always can't be a ghost and uh it isn't always going to be disproven either you know don't let me discourage people out there who want to get into this field just don't think you're always going to find something you know that dust or those insects that you have in a picture that you're calling orbs is not only misleading but it's just not true it's they aren't spirits they aren't ghosts it's dust It's it's dander, it's hair. You know, there's so many things, but we're not going to talk about that. You know, orbs. That that's another whole uh, uh, episode altogether. Tonight we're talking about the cases that a few of the cases um, that stick out in my mind. You know, I was thinking about what what to do for today's show, and I thought, you know what? How about talk about those cases where there wasn't a ghost? Because to me, that's just as interesting you know, what went into it to determine the fact that it wasn't a ghost, and why was I there to begin with to believe that maybe it was a ghost. And I'm going to talk about this first case. Um, it actually took place in Myrtle Beach. Um, if, I, if I quit dropping things in the studio here, hold on. Okay, anyways, back to you. Um, yes, yes, I'm still smoking, folks. I know, Mom, I'm very sorry about that. Anyway, um, I, this case was in Myrtle beach, uh, South Carolina. And this guy got a hold of me. I, I would say he was 63, 64 years old and he worked at this golf course and, uh, he was the maintenance guy. And, uh, long story short, every, he was always the first guy on the property every morning. I, I think he would get there about seven o'clock. If I remember correctly, this case was back in 2006 or 2007. I think it's, it's to the point where I don't even feel like calling it a case because there really wasn't a case, but, um, the debunking is what's important here. Uh, he calls me up and he says, Steven, he well, first he shot me an email and then I said, you know, here, let me give you a call or here, here's my number. Call me. So he calls me and, uh, he says, look, Stephen," he said, I know this is kind of silly, but I've been working at this golf course for about 10 years and I keep I keep hearing footsteps in the clubhouse of this golf course. And, and you know, I'm talking to him. I'm like, well, where are you hearing the footsteps, man? And he's like, well, when I first open the door, I unlock the door. I'm the first one there. I walk in and I hear somebody above me. You know, there's a room above him. Offices, if I remember correctly. And they're locked. And the only people who have keys to those are, are like the owners of this golf course and the managers, you know, people like that. And uh, he says, they're not there. Nobody's in there. Nobody could be in there at that time. And at the same time, every day, this is every day, not just once in a while, every day when he walks through that door, he's milling around in the clubhouse and then he hears somebody walk across the floor above him. So he hears footsteps going across the floor. I'm like, okay, well, that's really interesting. And he was so adamant about it. He said, look, man, he said, I'm not wasting your time. If you can come out here, if you can make the drive. Um, At the time, I want to say I was about an hour away. I think I was in Ocean Isle. Yeah. No? I don't know. I I was in North Carolina somewhere, and it was only about an hour away. It was real close to the South Carolina border, which Myrtle Beach is right there. And um, I said, look, yeah, I can make it. I I said, if you're saying this is happening every day, you know, there's a very good chance that um, I'll be able to witness it and hear it myself. So we agreed that I would meet him in the parking lot of this golf course um, first thing in the morning, whatever day we decided to do it. It wasn't immediately. It was like a week or two later. And uh, that way I could walk in with him and he's like, look, man, don't tell anybody about this. I don't want the owners to know about this. I don't want them to think I'm crazy. And, you know, I'm like, well, you know, as as long as they're fine with me being here, I don't want you to get in trouble for anything like that. I said, the question is, you know, what happens if I tell you it is a ghost? And he said, I, I don't know, man. He said, I, I just got to know what it is. He said, because I, I've went upstairs and checked the doors, and they were locked, and I knew nobody was in there. And, you know, at first maybe I thought it was an intruder when it first started happening. And he said, now I know it's not. It has got to be a ghost. So this this man was convinced that the clubhouse of this golf course in Myrtle Beach was haunted. So... I packed up a few things to do a preliminary investigation. I thought, okay, all all we're talking about is one thing, an audible source, um, footsteps. He wasn't talking about hearing voices or objects moving or seeing anything manifesting or anything like that. So I I took very little with me, just enough to document an audio recorder, a camera, um, and a few pieces of equipment to do some testing uh, of the facility, the clubhouse area. So I meet him there in the parking lot. We chit-chat for a little bit, and I'm like, well, all right, just pretend I'm not even here with you. I'll just shadow you. I'm going to walk through the door with you, follow you around the clubhouse. You do your normal morning routine. He says it happens within 15 minutes every morning. So we walk in. He unlocks the door. He uh, disarms the alarm. And I'm following him around the clubhouse, and he's doing his, his little morning tasks and stuff. And he goes, stop, stop, hear it, hear it, listen. Okay. We were both standing in silence in the middle of the clubhouse. And I hear it. I hear do, 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 do. And it, you know, it kind of ascended to an apex, like to above your head to where you were standing, and then descended to where it faded out. It literally did sound like somebody walking across the ceiling. So I completely understood where this man was coming from. But with no no other chemicals in the batter, you know, no no other ingredients, so to speak, it made me wonder. And I started looking around uh, the the clubhouse, and I noticed it was starting to get a little bit warm, which meant that the air conditioning had turned off, you know, shortly after we had come in there. It was about 10 minutes, as a matter of fact. And I, I said to this guy, I said, um, is it possible... Being that you're hearing this the same time every morning, that it's the central air or heat, this time of year it would have been the, the air conditioning, um, kicking on or off. And he said, well, why, why would that make a sound of somebody walking across the ceiling above me? And I, I said, well, I'll explain that to you, but let's try something first. I said, um, let's open your front door uh, of this clubhouse and let's let some more heat in to where we can get the air conditioner to kick back on. He, he agreed. So we opened the door. It wasn't very long. Of course, it, the humidity in Myrtle Beach is just insane if you've never been there. And if you have, you completely understand where I'm coming from. So it did not take long for the central air to kick back on. So the air conditioning kicks back on. I'm like, all right, all right, man, go ahead, shut the front door, and let's stand here for a minute. So we stood there and now once the the central air did what it was designed to do and bring it up to the temperature, the desired temperature um, that the thermostat was set to, it kicked off. And guess what? We heard those footsteps again. And I looked at this man and I just started grinning and and he's like, what? And I said, look, you can rest assured (laughs) your golf course, uh, the place you work at is not haunted. I said, it is the air conditioning unit. And he still looked at me, you know, with bewilderment. He, he, he was confused. He's like, how, how did you determine that so fast? I mean, you didn't test anything. I said, I did. We tested the, the AC. We, we tested the central air. He said, yeah, but how does that disprove a ghost? You know, and I could tell it's like he, he wanted me to pull out EMF meters and temperature guns and whip out a thermal camera. I was like, that, those things aren't necessary. I said, it's the AC unit. And I'm going to explain to you why. Now, some of you probably know this, Um, some of you don't, Um, but it's wise if you're a paranormal investigator or researcher to educate yourself on the many aspects of a building, the construction, the design, the the inner veins of a building from the electrical work to the carpentry, you know, wood, you know, when it swells, when it constricts, what it can do to a door, what AC units do, what electrical components can do, Um, because these things tend to be what you find out are causing the phantom noises. In this case, I'm sure everybody knows what ductwork is. You know, ductwork, you know, the, the stuff that you saw John McClane crawling through in Die Hard, you know. Now picture that, but with the central air units, they have flaps, Every so often, depending on the size, it could be every six foot, every three foot, it could be every 12 foot. It just depends on the unit and the design. But there are flaps in there, just like a mud flap on the back of a tractor and trailer, so to speak. Okay, when the air conditioner turns on, the air is forcing those flaps one at a time to lift up. Okay, so you're visualizing this. Now, when that air conditioner, when that unit kicks off, It's the air is coming backwards at that point. Okay, so it's reversing. So one by one, those flaps slowly slap back in place. Now, not all um, central air units are designed like this, um, but this one in particular was. And uh, I explained that to him. And I said, so what's happening here is when that air conditioner turns off, okay, those flaps one at a time going across the ceiling because that's where the duct works at sounds like somebody walking. So when it kicks off, you're hearing doo, doo, doo. do eventually the one above your head doo, and then fading off into the distance um, closer to where the actual intake of the air conditioner is. And he, he was so blown away by that. He's like, you know, I, I did not expect this at all. He said, I expected this to go a whole lot further. You asking to spend the night, you know, bringing in a team, you know, all this other stuff. And I said, you know, buddy, I, I said, it's not always like that. I, I said, You know, 90, 90% of the time, we I spend very little time at a location because you figure it out before we even really diving into it. And he's like, let's do it again just to make sure. So we did it again. We, we opened the door, let some heat in, shut the door. AC kicked on. AC kicked off, and he heard it again, just like clockwork. And uh, I wanted to share that one with you because that that is such a prime example. If he would have never contacted me or anybody um, that's involved in this line of work, he would go to his grave believing that there was some sort of phantom above him every morning, stuck in some kind of alternate existence, alternate time loop, walking across the floor above him in the offices and it turned out to be nothing but uh, the AC unit but I, I've got a couple more uh, of these I want to talk about I, I've got a little more time left in the show um, I don't really have a set time for this show I think I said that last episode so if you're new sometimes I run a half hour sometimes I'll run 45 minutes to an hour it just depends it depends on what I'm talking about but uh, again you're listening to Phenomenology I'm Stephen Lancaster um, I'm going to throw up a, a little promo for you uh, for my books. Um, if you're interested, if you want to learn more, um, there's some really interesting cases in a lot of those books, um, a few of which have been on TV. So you, you may have seen um, these shows about these haunts and these stories, but you didn't really realize what the source was. Um, and you can read the source firsthand in my books. So check out this promo uh, for my literary works. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about another case at a museum that I took in uh, Kenansville, North Carolina, where it turned out to not be a ghost. She had a phantom light that would come on by itself, and she couldn't figure out why, and uh, she contacted me. I just happened to be in town, and it's amazing. It's a small world, but we'll get to that part too. So guys, you're listening to Phenomenology. Stick around. Want to learn more about the supernatural and what it is like to walk between the realms of the living and the dead? Check out my novels on this subject for some interesting reading that will leave you questioning everything. Pick up my debut novel, Paranormal Investigator, True Case Files of a Paranormal Investigator, or dive deep into the dark world of haunted objects with my third book, Norman, The Doll That Needed to be Locked Away. All of my books are available at Barnes and Noble, Target, Walmart, Amazon. And anywhere fine books are sold. You are listening to Phenomenology right here on the One Step Closer to Madness Network. All right, my friends, you are listening to the One Step Closer to Madness Network. And you're listening to Phenomenology, the show with me, author and phenomenologist Stephen Lancaster. And tonight, we're talking about debunking. We're talking about disproving the ghost and doing it in a matter of minutes. Um... If you're just tuning in, I just discussed a case in Myrtle Beach where the gentleman thought he was hearing footsteps above him every morning at the same time, and it turned out to be nothing more than the central air unit kicking off and on. And uh, if you want to hear more about that, just tune back in or, you know, this this show's available 24-7 uh, once it airs for the first time, so you can go back and uh, listen to that little excerpt. I find it, I mean, it's funny now, it's comical, but at the same time, you gotta gotta think, you know, a lot of people don't know these kind of things, and um, when you're naive to the subject of the supernatural, um, your mind plays tricks on you, it goes in directions you might not necessarily want it to, and the simplest thing um, that could be easily disproven, uh, you may turn into something, you just may blow it out of proportion and then just uh, creep yourself out. And that's what we're talking about tonight, that it isn't always a ghost, and here's why. And I'm talking about my in-and-out cases, these quick cases where it was easily disproved. And this next one's no exception. Um, It was at a museum in Kenansville, North Carolina. And uh, like I alluded to earlier, it's such a small world because I was in town uh, for the weekend um, investigating a local restaurant um, and a winery and a uh, hotel all that weekend uh, within 10-15 minutes of this location of the museum and it turned out that the owner of the restaurant knew the new curator of this museum so she was new the curator that is and this woman had to be 78 80 years old you know it's a small town quiet town it was a simple job for her just to sit there and when people come by, which are very, very, which is very rare, um, just to put it bluntly, um, she takes them on a tour of this old plantation house, uh, the fields, the slave quarters, uh, the whole nine yards. It's a pretty neat little museum. Um, regardless, she had uh, contacted the restaurant owner and she had heard they were friends, you know, and she had heard that... Um, The restaurant was having some paranormal investigators in uh, for the weekend to research the restaurant. And, of course, that brought up what she started to experience at this museum. Well, the owner of the restaurant mentioned it to me and said, you know, since you're in town, would you mind going up there and, you know, talking to her? Maybe it's another case you can take. And I said, sure, because, you know, during the day, we weren't really doing a lot other than reviewing material from the night before, you know, just kind of milling around because the restaurant was open during the day and uh, there wasn't a lot that we could do. Um, it was just too too much uh, noise contamination. Uh, regardless, though, I said, yeah, and I think it was a Saturday, maybe a Sunday. Um, I went ahead and took the drive up there. Like I said, it was 10, 15 minutes away. And I met with the new curator. She was a nice elderly lady. And I said, so what do you got going on here? You're telling me that you believe that this plantation home that's now a museum, um, is haunted, and she says, yes, I'm new, and I've heard stories, and you know, right there was a big red flag for me, because you you always hear that from people, well, I've heard from this person, or I've read it in this book, or I've heard stories from these people, you know, so they go into it already with this preconceived notion that there's something going on, and that, that'll that influence your thought process, or what you think you believe, anyway, And I said, so tell me what's going on here. She said, well, there's this closet inside the plantation home. And when you shut the door, the light of the closet comes on. I'm like, really? She said, yes. And she said, here's the interesting thing. She said, there isn't a light switch for that closet door. I'm like, so wait a minute. There's a light in the closet, but there isn't a light switch. And she says, no. And she's like, the only way to get the closet light to turn off is to open the door back up. But then when you close it again, the light turns back on. She goes, I think there's something spooky going on there. And I said, okay, is is there anything else that you've experienced? Is it just this closet? Now, for her, it was just this closet light. But she said um, her first day, maybe second day there... Um, A lot of local schools uh, bring the children there for a field trip, you know, an educational, historical field trip to learn about the way, you know, life was, you know, working on a plantation and the lifestyle, that kind of thing. And she said one of the students, uh, these were elementary school students, by the way, um, swore up and down, this boy swore up and down that he saw a woman looking out the window of the upstairs bedroom. And of course, the new curator assured this little boy and the teacher and the other students who were now interested in what he said, um, that there was nobody in that building, that she was the only one who had the key. And the only time that the doors open of the plantation house is when she opens it and takes people in. Occasionally, a cleaning lady comes by, but even then, the curator escorts the cleaning lady because there's a lot of expensive stuff um, in this house. Uh, Like I said, it's a priceless museum um, for that time period. Uh, the colonial time period. And I said, okay, so you've got uh, an elementary school boy who said he saw a figure of a woman looking out the window and you are experiencing a closet light that only turns on when you shut the closet door. Now, I had never heard of anything like this, okay? Let alone a light without a light switch or at least, you know, a pull string, you know, something to trigger that light off and on or, uh, you know, some kind of switch. But she's saying there wasn't anything. So I'm like, all right, take me over there. Well, she did not even want to be in the house while I was there. I don't know what she thought I was going to do, you know, whether just my presence was going to bring out some kind of hate or ghost or something. But she did not want to. Be, she's like, look, I'm opening the door for you. I don't go in there by myself. I only take people in on a tour. That way I'm with people. And I've said, you know, while she's telling me this, I'm like, you know, has this happened during the tour? You know, and she said, yeah, people will mess with the door, you know, and they'll close it and the light will come on. They'll ask me why that light's on and I have no idea and I don't know what to tell them. And I just tell them it's an electrical malfunction. I said, well, maybe that's what it is. So she leaves me in there. I go immediately to the closet door that she's talking about. And uh, it was interesting because the closet door was open. She said that's the only way that the light will stay off. And I shut the closet door and sure enough, just like she said, the closet light came on like wait a minute I was like okay so open the door closet light goes off like all right so I went ahead and pulled out an EMF meter and it's an old old house so of course the reads were very very high because we're talking about old electrical wiring um I wasn't thinking ghost immediately or even at all in this case um I'm like okay so we got a lot of power coming to this closet I shut the door again open it again I do this a couple times and every time like like she said The closet light would come on only when the door was shut, and you could. It's because the door was so old, um, the cracks, you know, between the door, the the floor and the door, and uh, the latch. It was there was probably almost an inch, you know, just from the the humidity um, shrinking the wood and stuff like that, or lack of humidity uh, at the time. And I'm standing back and I'm looking at this door and I'm thinking, okay, there's obviously some kind of trigger here. And I look over at the walls all over, you know, behind me, in front of me, to the side of me, and there's multiple switches everywhere. So I start messing with all these switches. And guess what? I found a switch that turned that closet light off. Okay, that was part of the mystery, okay? So I went ahead and flipped the switch again, turned the light back on. Now the closet door is closed. I'm like, okay. So I flipped the switch again, turned the light off with the closet door closed. That's when I went and I opened the closet door again. This time the light came on with the closet door open. So it was the exact opposite. So I'm like, interesting, okay? I flip a switch to turn the light off while the door's closed. Then I open the door, the light comes on. Where before, you had to close the door to get the light on. So you following me here? Um, If not, listen to this in the archive because I'm not going over that again. Anyway, so I close the door, light goes off. I went back over to the light switch, which was a good eight foot away. It was not properly placed whatsoever. Um, I flip it again. The light comes on with the closet door closed. Open the closet door. Light goes off. Like, okay. I started really examining the framework. And this this is just, I had never, I got to admit, I had never seen a design like this in my life. I never even heard of it, with the exception of a refrigerator everybody knows how a refrigerator light works there's that little switch in there that the door catches so when you close the refrigerator door what happens the light goes out when you open the refrigerator door it releases that switch and the light comes on so you can see inside your refrigerator this closet was the same it worked the same the same principle okay so instead of a switch now there was a switch like i said six or eight foot away but I guess it's kind of a cool idea that when you open your closet door, the light will come on in the closet so you don't have to mess with a switch or nothing. But along the side where the hinges were was a little knob sticking out, a little metal knob. You, know, you could actually push it with your finger or thumb or whatever in and out, and you could hear it click. And when I would do that, the light would come on, click it again, the light would come off. So when the door would shut, it was pressing against that, and it would either cause the light to come on and when you would open the door, it would cause the light to come off. Just like a refrigerator, but the opposite. What had happened at some point in time... Is somebody... Had shut that closet door... With... The light... On. Okay? Then they went... And some at some point flipped the switch. Which would have turned the light off. So then you open the closet door it turns the light back on, right? Which is how it should be. Then what would happen, somebody left the door open, and instead of, I guess they walked away from the closet, this is the scenario in my head, they opened the door, lighted the closets on, they walk away from the closet, on the way to the kitchen, or who knows what, because that's about where the light switch was for it, around the corner was the kitchen, and thought, I'm not walking all the way back to that closet, turn that light off, and they flipped the switch, which turned the light off with the door open. So then the next person to come along, when they shut that closet door, it of course triggers the light from the little trigger in the closet and causes the light come on. So I am having a, <laughs> I'm having quite a laugh about this because it was interesting to me just being in the museum of, of this house. But to see something I had never seen before, other than with a refrigerator, and it's such a great idea, a closet door that connects to a trigger like a refrigerator that controls a light. That's very cool. So I immediately leave the the building, go back over to their uh, visitor center. I bring her back over to the house and I show her everything I just explained to you. From the light switch on the wall, I showed her exactly how it happened. Somebody opened the closet door, left the light on, walked away and just flipped the switch to turn the light off. The wall switch instead of the switch that's the trigger by the hinge. And she, of course, had a hearty that She was so relieved. This was one of those cases where this, this old woman did not want that place to be haunted. She's like, this is the place I work. You know, I was so scared to come into this house all because of this closet light. I couldn't figure it out. And I told her, you know, that's the, the scariest thing to all of us, isn't it? You know, even when it comes to the paranormal or even when it comes to other things, the scariest things to us are the things we don't understand. You know, and in this this woman's mind just went nuts Cause she couldn't figure out why the light of this closet was coming off and on, but there you go, another fine example of it not being a ghost. The client believing it to be a ghost, and this whole thing probably took about as long as this segment of this show. Another case of just in and out. It was really simple, interesting, interesting place, interesting backstory, interesting uh, client, uh, but it wasn't a ghost. So we're going to take one more break, guys. I've got some more time and another story to give you. How about debunking something in a place that actually is haunted? We'll close this out with a story of a very haunted location that I've worked for well over 10 years, uh, located in Little River, South Carolina. It's a restaurant called the Brentwood Wine Bistro. I've had this place on television numerous times. Um, You've probably seen some of the shows maybe. Uh, also, I've wrote about it, I wrote about it in my very first book. It was the flagship story in that book, the last story. And, uh, it's gained a lot of popularity. It's a a very cool haunting story. I can't get into all that today on the show, because it would just take too long. That would be a whole show. If you're interested in hearing more about the Brentwood Wine Bistro, or any of my cases, or have any kind of questions, comments, just contact me on Facebook, facebook.com slash author Stephen Lancaster. And uh, Just hit me up on there, send me a message, and uh, I'll see about bringing your question or your comment or your idea to the show. I'm very accessible, guys. Facebook.com slash Stephen Lancaster. And you can even check out my website, authorstevenlancaster.com, and that's Stephen spelled with a P-H. authorstevenlancaster.com. I do a little blog, maybe once a week, once in a while. Um, there's videos on there, paranormal investigations, um, just information about everything that I do. And, of course, you can catch episodes of this show, Phenomenology, on there. I always share those once, once the network uh, puts them up. But when we come back, I'm going to talk about a, a haunted restaurant that I've investigated for over 10 years. The place is legitimately haunted. Okay, this is over 10 years' worth of research. But not everything was as it seemed, or is as it seems. Um, things that I once thought were paranormal because of the length of time of investigating this case... I end up deeming not paranormal, because I was able later to debunk them. And things that I didn't think were a ghost, or the paranormal, or the supernatural, or whatever you want to call it, um, later would prove to be. So this is a perfect example to close the show out with um, of a place that actually is haunted, but not that doesn't mean everything that happens has to do with the ghost you know and that's what we were talking about earlier with these these tv shows every little thing that goes on is the ghost yeah there may be a ghost there it may be haunted and it may have just moved that little object over there but that doesn't mean it just opened that door you know but instantly that's what it is to these people in these shows um so guys check out this last little commercial break we come back we'll close this show out stick around Hey, my friends, be sure to like the One Step Closer to Madness Network with my show, Phenomenology, at facebook.com slash one step closer to madness. That's facebook.com slash one step closer to madness. Do you have a topic or a question that you would like to hear on a future episode of Phenomenology? Hit me up at Facebook.com slash Author Stephen Lancaster. That's Facebook.com slash Author Stephen Lancaster. Give me your suggestions. Give me your comments. Give me your questions. You may just hear it on a future episode of Phenomenology. Facebook.com slash Author Stephen Lancaster. We now return to Phenomenology. Phenomenology with author and phenomenologist Stephen Lancaster, right here on the One Step Closer to Madness Network. Alright guys, welcome back. This is the last segment of this episode of Phenomenology. Tonight we've been talking about the fact that it doesn't always have to be a ghost. There is still a thing out there called disproving. Not everything is always haunted. Not everything is like you see on television. Um, True paranormal research uh, levels out. They even the playing field. Sometimes it is a ghost. Sometimes it isn't. I'm not going to burst your bubble and say that there's never a haunted place because I've been in many, many haunted locations. Um, It's just tonight I wanted to talk about those cases that there wasn't a ghost and how easy it was to prove the fact that there wasn't and how some people go in with these preconceived notions You know, somebody else could have taken that case at that golf course or at that museum and not have figured those things out and led the client to believe that they had something supernatural there because everybody seems to go by this philosophy that if you can't explain it, it must be paranormal. That's not true. That just means you can't explain it, you know, and and I'll even speak for myself here, even talk about myself. There, There may be things where I have deemed it haunted and somebody else would come along and say, whoa. No, man, this is what it is. That was wrong. And that's exactly what I'm about to talk about right now. Um, as I brought up before that last break, there, there's a, a haunted restaurant in Little River, South Carolina, called the Brentwood Wine Bistro. It is extremely haunted. It's, it's one of my favorite places to, to research. I've written about the place in my books. I've done television shows about it. Um, there's even a documentary on Amazon Prime about the location that showcases a lot of the evidence in favor of of the ghost of the Brentwood, and it's called Fantome, the Haunting of Brentwood Wine Bistro. And uh, I think it, it got ripped apart a lot on, on Amazon, and I, I think it's because um, it's so real. Um, may, maybe, maybe I'm just trying to justify it, I don't know. But that's a location that is haunted. But there was something with that house that I once deemed paranormal that it took one of my other investigators to prove me wrong. So the place is haunted, but not everything that happens in there is due to the ghost. Now, one of the major claims initially, when I took the case of the Brentwood back in 2007, 2008, somewhere around in there, um, the owner, the chef, had told me that himself, his wife, customers of the restaurant would all become trapped in the upstairs bathroom. They would go to use the bathroom. It's a small little, it's an old house that they turned into a restaurant slash bistro. So it has like a normal house bathroom. And numerous times, he couldn't even count how many times he's had to come up there with a screwdriver to the second floor and break the door open, you know, push the latch to get people out of the bathroom. And like I said, he even got trapped in that bathroom. So that was one of the many claims about this place when I first took the case. And honestly, at that time, I could not figure out why that door was locking people in. Now, here's the thing. When I first took the case, I took it in January of that year, which meant it was very cold. There was no humidity, which means that the bathroom door, which is wooden, constricted which means it opens with ease, it closes with ease, it just super easy, it does not stick. There was no way to explain why people would be trapped in there. Now, the part of the story that the owner left out, maybe not not necessarily purposely, he just probably just didn't think about it, was the time of year this was happening. We would later find out, years later, okay, that because like I said, when I first investigated it, it was the winter, the door opened and closed fine for the life of me. As much as I tried, I could not get trapped in that bathroom. Neither could any of my colleagues that were with me during those investigations. So I deemed it as paranormal. I was like, well, something is is holding this door closed on your your patrons, on you. Um, I couldn't figure out why. I couldn't get the store to stay shut even if I tried. Well, years later, I would, of course, go back because, like I said, I researched this location for over 10 years. And uh, I had my head investigator with me at this point, um, Alan Bess, uh, one of my best friends. We grew up together. Um, He was the best investigator um, in in my group, um, especially as far as disproving things. And uh, he figured it out. And we just happened to go at the right time of the year. This was over the summer. Peak of the heat. In South Carolina humidity's full-blown it takes your breath away and uh, we're in there and and this was his first night in there his first time seeing this location he had heard all the stories he had seen all my videos on the location and uh he was he's like yeah I want to go in there you know I got I got to see this for myself so the first thing we do is go to this door and I said this is this has had me baffled for years now, keep in mind, every time I went, according to my schedule, it was always cold. I never went in there over the summer until Alan came along. And he was available to do it then, so that's why we went in there. Plus, the summer is so busy uh, for that restaurant. They don't get out of there till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, so it's hard to investigate with that kind of scenario going on. But uh, we made an exception and did it on a Saturday night where the restaurant was closed the next day on a Sunday. And uh, long story short the door stuck Alan went in and got trapped and I'm like you gotta be kidding me As many t- I had been in here dozens of times and never never had that door do that and he just kind of puts a shoulder into it and opens it back up and he instantly looks at me he goes Stephen it's, it's the humidity the door it's swollen and I looked at it and I kind of pushed the door shut and sure enough it starts to stick immediately as you start shutting it immediately when it starts meeting the frame it starts to stick so when you go in there and you're using the restroom or washing your hands or whatever it is that you're doing, um, the door is stuck. So when you, uh, you picture a little, er- you know, every time it was stuck on somebody, it was usually an elderly person, you know, and you don't really picture an elderly person putting their shoulder into a door to get out. They try the doorknob, they do a little push, it doesn't open, oh, they're pounding on the door, help, help, I'm stuck. You know, it was pretty much the case every time somebody got stuck in there. And Alan came along new guy to the investigation disproved something that i believed to be to have been part of the haunting of the restaurant so here we were in a legitimately haunted location still is to this day probably will be forever and we were able to disprove something that the ghost was getting the blame for a door that was simply affected by humidity in the winter it would not lock you in in the summer It would. The door would really stick hard. I mean, Alan's a big boy, so he'd have to put his shoulder into it to open it back up. Most of Chef Eric's uh, patrons could not do that, so he'd have to use a screwdriver to kind of shimmy it in there and hit the latch and pull the door, and he would have to pull hard himself from the other side. Um, So there you go. Another case of debunking. But in this case, like I said, to close out the show, I wanted to show you that a uh, location that is deemed haunted that doesn't mean everything that happens is. But thank you guys again for tuning in to Phenomenology. This is this is my ramble time to talk about all things paranormal. I am author Stephen Lancaster, paranormal investigator Stephen Lancaster. Check me out, authorstevenlancaster.com. That's my personal website. Or on Facebook, facebook.com slash author stephen lancaster. And uh, again, reach out to me if you enjoy the show. If you want to hear a certain topic or you want to hear an, a, my opinion on something, um, I'm a very easily accessible guy. I'm very open. I tend to ramble a lot. Um, I was only going to do this show for 45 minutes, and now I'm hitting like the 47-minute mark. Go figure. But uh, thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again to the One Step Closer to Madness Network for having me. Um, thank you to Scott Morgan, who provides the music for this show. And uh, thank you for for all the people who have supported me and my literary works, my documentaries, television shows all that stuff over the years it's fun just to do a little little low budget podcast uh just to just to talk about the paranormal and put it out there for people and and keep the legitimacy of it alive as small as it may be um just to keep the reality of it alive so you know uh, i hate seeing all these people rely on what they see on tv um, it's just not the case. As much as I want it to be, and I know as much as you believe it to be or want it to be, um, it's just not the case, my friends. So guys, I hope everybody has a great week. I'll be back next week with a new show. I may be back sooner than that. I don't know. There's no timetable for this. It's it's when I'm available to sit down in the studio, click record on the mic, and, and give you guys a show. Um, take care, my friends.